Welcome to Prime Suspects, where we bring you an insider's look behind the counter of Prime Sports. I'm your host, Nat Landis, joined by the main attractions of the show, Joe Brennan Jr. and Adam Bjorn. Adam, let's kick it off with you this week, because last week we talked about NFL favorites covering at a historic clip in Week 12. Would it be safe to assume that Week 13 was better for the book, especially with Cincinnati capping off the week with an outright win as a double-digit underdog at Jacksonville? much to the dismay of myself and other Jags teaser betters. Uh, yeah, generally overall for books, it was a lot better week, a lot more random results. Uh, when I looked at some of the boards, we have a green envy board of knowing what we need and whatnot. We hit three out of five or something like that. So it was definitely a better week, but again, just a week, another day, another week. We'll go again next weekend. All right, well, the train keeps rolling, and we will go from some NFL talk to the NBA with our lead segment, the latest from Inside Prime Sports, because a big news story this past week, guys, LeBron James's longtime manager and business partner, Maverick Carter, admitted to betting on NBA games through an illegal bookie. According to a story published November 30th by the Washington Post, Carter made the admission during a November 2021 interview with federal agents as part of an investigation into a bigger offshore sports betting ring. And I think it's worth noting that Carter was not the target of the investigation. He was never charged. And NBA policies bar players and team and league officials from gambling on NBA games, but the league doesn't have purview over business managers. With that said, the NBA and other leagues, of course, are in the throes of embracing legal betting. The Dallas Mavericks are pending a sale to a casino magnate. So maybe there's something to be said for the optics here around the integrity of the game. Joe, I'll use that as an opportunity to toss it over to you. And I'd love to get your thoughts on any connection you see between this story and how it plays into Prime Sports' stated ambition to bring illegal wagers into the regulated market. I think the big takeaway from this story is when you talk about the betters like Maverick Carter, they mentioned Scottie Pippen. They didn't really mention anybody else by name, but the one thing that they all had in common was that they all wanted to bet at, we'll say, higher stakes than normal. Although Maverick Carter, I believe, was betting between 5,000 and 10,000 on NBA games, and that's actually within or below the house stakes that we offer at Prime Sports. It's just all this occurred after PASPA was repealed and you had the pretty rapid expansion of legal sports betting in the U.S., and it's kind of a, it's a sad statement on the industry when you have people who are you know, high profile looking to bet, you know, mid four figs, uh, low five figs on a game, and they can't find a home in the regulated sports betting industry. And it kind of comes back to something that we're always talking about, that sometimes it's greeted with a lot of skepticism. You know, when Adam says that for every dollar that's bet in the regulated market, there's another dollar or so that's still being bet on the street. Well, he says it, and then it magically pops up in the Washington Post. Way to go, Adam. <laughs> and so, yeah, there's a real segment out there that is still looking for a home. We're hearing from these guys constantly now. And we're starting to get some come in through our doors in Ohio. It'll probably hit really big once we open up in New Jersey because of its proximity to New York and to Philadelphia as well. It's just, at the same time, you have everybody from like the CEO of FanDuel, the head of the American Gaming Association, folks like that saying that, oh, well, you have to tame offshore unregulated sports betting. But stuff like this is really what gives it oxygen. 
I highly doubt Maverick Carter. Maverick Carter's not an idiot. The guy's smart enough to be managing LeBron's money. And given that LeBron's a billionaire athlete, he must be doing a pretty good job of it, right? He knows what the stakes are, but if he wants to get some action down, and for him, 5000 10000 must be grocery money bets. It's really not that big a deal. A politician in New Jersey once said to me, we've got mailmen that bet more than $5,000 on a game. Shout out there to you, Assemblyman Caputo. Yeah, it, it, this is a, a segment that most operators, I can only think of two, ourselves in Circa, are essentially saying, you're not welcome here. And as long as those operators, you know, FanDuel, DraftKings, the casinos, uh, the others want to say, we don't want to take your action, you're going to continue to have unregulated action on the street. It's going to continue to be a, you know, a topic for law enforcement. But again, another thing to bear in mind here is the players, players aren't going to get penalized unless they're Yasil Puig, but he's getting penalized for lying to investigators, not for betting on sports. Betters, they can, they can pretty much do what they want to do. And so it's up to the industry and it's up to regulators to open the doors to those guys because otherwise they're, you're never going to see them come in on bended knee. Adam, one thing Joe touched on was your statement that you've shared on this podcast and other platforms in the past for every dollar bet in the regulated market. I think the estimate has ranged from another one to two dollars in the unregulated market. With that context in mind, what's your takeaway from a story like this? For me, again, it was a nothing story because in my world, it's commonly known, common practice, whatnot. But it's also what I've said, you know, sitting in rooms with regulators of, again, enforcement's not the answer. It's grow the industry, grow the business, welcome anybody and everybody through the doors. Um, I recently did a keynote in Botswana to 200 plus group of regulators. And again, the only ones that really pushed back on my, you know, not enforcement, build growth was established regulators, you know, the UK, a few of those ones. Whereas the new ones just coming into the regulated space, the Botswana themselves, you know, were open to it and wanted to understand more on that. Because, you know, I recently saw an article, and it was one thing that I brought up, that Australia went and asked Curacao to help them with their issue with offshore gaming. I mean, to me, that's like asking a three-year-old to drive a semi-trailer. Like, again, you just got to build this business, build the industry, go after these people, make it easy for them, reduce the friction. You know, the, one of the arguments within the U.S. is, well, they, they won't want to play through regulated channels because of taxes and having to report. Most of these people are losing. So they're not, there's no taxes to report. There's no, you know, anything like this. So again, it's build it out, open the doors, let people bet. You know, I'm sure some of these high end wealth ones are getting facilitated it through VIP programs at DraftKings and FanDuel and things like that. But what I am seeing again is even when these opportunities come up, people are staking, you know, 50 up there, 50 elsewhere, things like that. It's just part and parcel of the business. But yeah, overall, for me, it was enough a story. It's been happening for a very, very, very long time and globally, not just the U.S. Keeping the focus on the U.S. for a bit here and pivoting from bringing money into the U.S. regulated market to an operator leaving the U.S. regulated market, we'll get into our water cooler segment with a two-leg parlay in this week's water cooler. First leg, the Kindred Group which runs the Unibet Sportsbook and Casino, is leaving all North American markets by the middle of next year. According to SBC Americas, this includes their online operations in Arizona, Indiana, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. Bottom line seems to be that Kindred was unable to gain a viable market share. 
And Joe, I'd love to get your thoughts on this in the sense of how much you think it could indicate tough market conditions in general, as opposed to how much it could indicate strategic errors and perhaps some unrealistic goals by Kindred itself. I think it indicates that you just can't build it and people will come in the United States. Your brand might be strong in your core markets and Unibet is strong in their core markets in Scandinavia and they have some reach in, in other European markets, but nobody ever heard of it here in the United States unless you're a serious gambler uh, and you're just familiar with global brands. So there's nothing that Unibet started with except money to go out and buy market access. And amazingly, they're also the the official sports book of the Philadelphia Eagles. So it was always a little strange looking up and seeing that after everything I did and American companies allowed the Eagles to be snapped up by a Swedish company was something to behold. But it's also, it speaks to, well, okay, if you're going to come here and you got money and, and you want to do something, your brand, how are you going to differentiate? There's one thing that you got to do is you got to take your hat off to FanDuel and DraftKings because those guys went from being Lazarus. They were on fumes with DFS. At one point, they were trying to merge because they were dying. And then overturning PASPA now made them just two titans. But the biggest reason why they won is because, well, they already had paid players deposited in every state that was opening up. When they opened up in New Jersey, when they opened up out here outside D.C. and Virginia, all I had to do was log in with my DraftKings or my FanDuel passwords from DFS, and I was already deposited in their sportbook. That's the killer app. So if you're going to dislodge that, or if you're going to at least make a dent in it, you got to differentiate, but none of them did. You know, Unibet is just another same old, same old, like most of these other sports books. Uh, you know, we're like DraftKings and FanDuel, only smaller, in that we take small stakes, we kick out winners, and there was nothing really special about them. I'm not trying to dance on their grave. They're, they're nice people, and you know, it, it's a shame when you see this. I don't think it says anything more about the market other than if you're going to come you got to be something more than a me too brand when you enter sports betting. Give Why does somebody want to bet with your brand versus one of the other guys, one of the top guys? Adam, I think this question was probably more in Joe's wheelhouse, but the key takeaway I'm taking from his answer was differentiation being key. And I know that you've spoken about a myriad of ways that Prime is differentiating itself and aspires to continue doing so in the future. I guess if we're to sum it up in an elevator pitch, what would you say are the key ways that Prime is differentiating itself in a way that should make it more sustainable and ideally much more successful in the U.S. market for years to come? Well, again, I think Ohio's October numbers kind of showed that in a sense of we're not even trying here to really go and get players. We opened the doors. We had a couple of processing units and, you know, we're there was ninth in volume and 13th in GGR or something like that with zero promotional dollars. I think Kindred, Bet, Bet Fred, all those others, you know, Bet, uh, I guess there's seven or eight that you could list that have been open for 10 or 11 months, selling the same old vanilla ice cream that FanDuel and DraftKing are. And again, we're just trying to come in and really do nothing different. Like there's no reinventing the wheel here. It's just come in, take a bet, offer a number, invite everybody in and uh, just slowly build it all together. They won't be the last to leave the market. Again, it's just, we're not even looking at DraftKings FanDuel as the competition. Again, mine's always been go after the unregular, go after the carters and get that business first, and then we'll see who else is around. But I think, you know, a number of these, again, Unibet was writing money in each state. So now 
Will those players move to somewhere else? Will it just back into FanDuel DraftKings? Will try and catch some? A dollar's a dollar. And again, it's just a matter of doing your own thing, staying in your own lane, concentrating on what you do. And end of the day, this is a hospitality business. It's services and the customers are making their lives a much easier to have a bit of fun with their money and place a few bets. And speaking of a place where a lot of bettors now have at their disposal to look to place a few bets, adding a second leg to our parlay here, let's hope it doesn't push because ESPN Bet continues to make this segment for some of the wrong reasons, guys. If we want to rewind just a little bit to Buffalo, Philadelphia, Week 12 in the NFL, there was a better who placed a five-leg same-game parley with a payout in excess of 20 to 1. The five legs went 4-0-1. The bet was graded as a push instead of being converted to a four-leg parlay and graded as a winner, which most, if not all other books I'm aware of would have done. Adam, I'd love to get your thoughts on this first. I guess if I can just toss up an open-ended question, at this point, what's your read on anything ESPN Bet is offering to bettors that they can't already get elsewhere? Well, first of all, I mean, being in the platform business, how did that platform actually pass mustard? Because I would imagine that in all the rules everywhere, that just goes back to a 14 parlay and gets paid out accordingly. I mean, I haven't turned on ESPN since they opened up, but I've actually thought of trying to run like a, a station and just put my head in the middle of it, commentating on their commentating, because it just seems like it'd be just uh, constant content all day long, 24 hours a day. You know, the idea was that they were going to be able to take this brand and all the tools and assets that they have and should be able to do something better than what Barstool was of just ripping down the targeting certain things. But I mean, they just seem to be tripping over themselves right now coming out the gate. So again, I think they have the ability to do something decent. I think they have the ability to do something that could compete in the market with years to come. I've always said their 20% market share goals will never happen and are ridiculous. But they have something. I mean, they have a lot more tools than we have to get to the customers and provide stuff. So again, if they could just offer a decent product, offer better customer service in a sense of what they're delivering to people, but they don't know. That's why we are able and why we are going to survive in this industry is because we just do it differently. And it's a culture built into most of the people in the team that this, this is what we live and breathe. You know, you throw a few of those into the ESPN tour, then maybe they have a shot, but it just seems like, again, it's just sort of retail shopping and they're not really getting to the nuts of what this business is. Joe, any key takeaways on your end about ESPN back grading a five leg same game parlay as a push when it goes four zero and one? I think ESPN took a bloody nose for Penn Interactive. This is what happens when you just license your brand to a gaming company and trust that they're going to run a good operation. ESPN didn't make that house rule. But Penn made that house rule, but it's ESPN is the one that's taken the punch to the face on it. The other thing is it, it just reminds me of something. I remember when I first started going to Costa Rica and there was this one line that people kept saying in response to everything. And it was... Uh, well, everybody can be a bookie. And it was being said sarcastically, obviously. I think you've seen that quite a bit with the initial rush and that everybody who jumped in there, all the startups, everything like that is sports betting must be easy. Everybody can be a bookie, right? And you found out, you know, through these different shakeouts that no, that's not the case. And ESPN take a bloody nose uh, when they have, you know, their own betting partner, which should know much better given who they are their reach and how long they've been in this business. I guess, you know, ESPN is right. Everybody can be a bookie. 
Well, on that note, I guess moving on from uh, some arguably irresponsible grading of a wager to responsible gaming. Our look ahead segment this week going to be a different kind of look ahead. If you're following sports, then you're probably well aware of leagues teaming up with sportsbooks on advertising for responsible gaming. And Adam, not a much of a preamble on this one. I hear you have some thoughts on this topic. You know, I'm all for responsible gaming. I'm all for looking out for those that can't look out for themselves. But I mean, having been on this side of the world now for 20 years after being, you know, growing up in a heavily available sports betting, horse racing, everything, gambling ecosystem. You know, the league flips from they're against it, they're against it, they're against it. Sure, get in bed with it. Now they're wanting, you know, integrity fees. Now the NBA's got their hands into getting uh, a 0.3% of all the official data rights uh, in the US, which will likely expand globally. You know, the Americans are trying to get rid of the excise tax to be able to compete with the unregulated market. And here comes the NBA adding additional revenue to their side without having the concept of really understanding what it takes to run a business, overheads, the costs, and then now they're getting into the responsible gaming stuff uh, with the books. Again, stay in your lane, run your sports operations. Sure, have a few little bits and pieces here. You know, the regulators are doing their job on all the advertising, put your 1-800 numbers and all those added necessities to help the people. But It's just become way too much of put the hand out to grab as much money as you can and then push back and say, oh, but responsible gaming, like you you can't have it both ways. You know, it's the hypocrisy, especially in the American industry. It's globally somewhat there, but since this PASPA thing and since it's been repealed and stuff like that, like the leagues, the corporations and stuff like that have really shown what they're truly about. And it's not about responsible gaming or the people. It's far from it. And Joe, you played an integral role, of course, in getting PASPA overturned. So what's your read on how we've seen this dynamic unfold in the years since? I mean, look, I can obviously write a book and I guess am writing a book about just the hypocrisy of the leagues uh, throughout this entire process. We've gone, this industry has gone from being the greatest threat to the integrity of the game to now they want. X percent of our pregame and live betting revenue uh, in their pockets because it's their content. And yeah, there is an awful lot of just hypocrisy in the way they talk about it. You know, on the one hand, they've got betting advertising up and down the sidelines. Every other ad during the game, which the NFL approves, is from sports books. But then, you know, every fifth advertisement, there's Kurt Warner telling me I got to make a plan and make a budget and everything like that. And I don't say that that way because we think that concerns about responsible gaming are bullshit. Of course they aren't. I don't think that's what Adam was saying, at least Mr. Regulator listening in. I don't think that's what Adam was saying. Not a, No, not at all. I think that's the regulator's job and they're doing a very good job with it. But Yeah, I think what we're saying is, is we obviously take it seriously. I'll say this, I take it really seriously. I, I don't think there's many people that you meet in this world that that don't have a member of their family, friends, loved ones, whatever, who've been troubled by addiction. And I don't think that gambling addiction should be treated in any lesser way than substance abuse and things like that. We do have to treat it seriously. But it, it's not just, hey, we're treating it seriously by putting down 1-800-GAMBLER and we've done our job. 
that is the industry acting like this is an annoying requirement that we have to have on our ads or things like that. Let's get it out of the way. Like that fast talking text that you have on radio ads when they talk about like all the downsides of all the pharmaceuticals that everybody's taking. <laughs> right. Let's get past that as quick as we possibly can and get onto the good stuff. Now, we have to take that seriously, especially us, because we have people who bet pretty substantial amounts. Our average bet size is way over what the average bet size would be at one of the, the big brands, right? Where it becomes a real pain in the ass is the league's stance. They don't really take time to talk to us. They're not talking to operators, or at least they're not talking to operators who are real bookmakers. They might be talking to McDonald's and Burger King over there. The only thing they care about is being able to use their damn logos in their betting app so they look nice and colorful. But they're not really talking about the business. And I know I, for one, I've been at loggerheads with those guys for almost 20 years now. Uh, they could have saved about 10 years off my life by not fighting this thing and instead negotiating the best way to do this. And they'd be 10 years further into an industry where it would be operating well and figured out a better way for them to capitalize on this commercially than what they're trying to do now, which is on the one hand, they're reaching into Adam's pocket saying like, hey, give me five cents every dollar that you guys are taking in on your gross. And then on the other hand, they're smacking them across the face with a responsible gaming guide saying like, you're a bad person taking bets. And, you know, all you want to do is victimize people. So you're going to do it our way so that Roger Goodell can continue to protect the shield. Showing what an idiot Roger is. Shields are used to protect people. You don't protect shields. I could go on all day. I'll leave it for the book. But the industry does. I'll say something seriously. The industry has to do a better job of, and this is the entire gaming industry, of looking at that there's a certain percentage of our population, one, two percent, that are people who are prone to addiction of many sorts. Maybe gambling might be substance abuse, might be sex, might be other things. And we have to, we have to be responsible in that when people come to us, let's not just say 1-800-GAMBLER, go with God. Let's do a better job of directing people to resources. Let's do a better job of monitoring people. But at the same time, don't be lecturing us that, and, and this is the leagues, this is not regulators, this is the leagues. Don't lecture us that we've got to be responsible at the same time you're trying to force us to sign revenue share agreements on our handle just for the honor of being able to offer action on your games and utilizing your official. That they're the ones who are being the hypocrites and they're the ones who are being most dangerous in this equation. All right. Well, people will hear that 1-800-GAMBLER call to action shortly if they're still with us as we wrap up this conversation. But I think it's appropriate to note this is an important topic. But we say it in a loving, responsible way, Matt. We don't say it in a let's get this over with way. Absolutely. Seriously, we say it lovingly, Matt. Already did. And <laughs> people hear that in post soon enough. But this is the first time, but I, I think we can safely assume not the last time that we'll get into a topic this important on this show. But for now, everybody, whatever you think of the leagues teaming up with Sportsbooks, we want to thank you for teaming up with us and listening to this week's episode. As we wrap things up, here's your weekly reminder that you can register for Prime Sports at primesports.com. You can also download the Prime Sports app and you can follow Prime Sports on Twitter at Prime Sportsbook. We welcome you to message us there with any questions or segment ideas. And while you're at it, you can also follow Joe on Twitter at Joe Brennan Jr. and Adam on Twitter at Adam Bjorn 2. You can find links to all of the above in the show notes. Last but not least, everybody, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week right back here on Prime Suspects. 
you must be 21 or over to play on Prime Sports. Always bet responsibly and within your limits. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Gambler.